Well, good morning, church. Hey, my name's Ben Clausen, and man, if I haven't met you, uh, I hope I get to. I'm typically in the back with the home team. Any home teamers here this morning? Okay, okay. And uh, today, I'm not. I'm up here. It's something different. Brace yourselves. And I'm up here for two specific reasons. The first reason is this. I think maybe, just maybe, I don't know, we'll see. This is maybe what I'm called to for like the next 60 years. So we'll see. Uh, And the second reason is this. I think what God's word reveals to us this morning is actually like not just a little fun Sunday morning pick-me-up, but is actually like life-changing. So I don't know if you, if you came in here this morning thinking like, what if my life is changed radically by God's word? But I think it actually is capable of doing that this morning. So man, I'm really excited to get to, to get to walk through the scriptures with you. We're finishing up our series on the book of Proverbs. If you've been with us, you know uh, that this has been our big idea. Every single one of us wants to live with fewer regrets, right? And make better decisions. Better decisions, fewer regrets. We can all kind of concede to that. But the good news is the book of Proverbs gives us wisdom. It shows us how to navigate seasons of life and how to live synced up with God in both our character and our conduct. It gives us wisdom for living skillfully. So we've been looking and seeing how, how God's word can affect our words, our wealth. And then today we're looking at work. But man, this is a really, really complex topic that you can't just focus in on for 30 minutes on a Sunday morning and get a full grasp of it. So our hope is that you would join in with the podcast. We have podcasts online. You might be thinking, wait a minute, no one spoke about wealth here. And it's true, Jacob did, but he spoke on it elsewhere, but it's online on that podcast. So we hope you'll catch up on that. But additionally, even more importantly, we hope that you're immersing yourself in God's word, in God's word. And we've, in fact, made a Bible reading plan for you if you desire to jump in on it. It's called The Best or Grace College on the YouVersion Bible app. So that's sort of the big picture. Uh, But for today, like I said, we're talking about work. We're talking specifically about this. Here's Here's the, like, sentence about what today is about. You ready for it? Every single one of us has an opportunity to leverage our work to glorify God and grow his kingdom. Let me say it again. Every single one of us has an opportunity to leverage our work to glorify God and grow his kingdom. And why do we want to glorify God? Because he's rigged the world in such a way that we, his servant, are most satisfied when he, our master, is most glorified, right? We're most satisfied. He's most glorified. So what we're going to do today is look at the two major work ethics that are presented by the book of Proverbs. It gives us these two ideas, sneak peek, it gives us these two ideas about what the major work ethics in the world are. So we're going to dive into them and see what God's word has to say. The first one, you ready for it, is the word diligent. Can you say diligent with me? Three, one, two, three, diligent. Exactly. Good word. Diligent is translated from the Hebrew word charutz. I don't know Hebrew, but I looked it up online, and that's what it said. And that word is translated elsewhere in Scripture as fine gold or treasure. Fine gold or treasure. So I think that's really fascinating and really good to know because what it means is the word diligent, the diligent worker, is extremely valuable. He's extremely valuable. In fact, you can think of him as a bike. You can think of the diligent worker specifically as a VO ride. Correct. (laughs) This is what you can think of the diligent worker as. Because guess what? The picture that you get with the diligent worker in the Proverbs is that he's working. Like he's pedaling. He's doing things. He's making decisions. But when he does so, he is making real valuable progress. Right? 
He's making progress. You see this guy, and he's making progress. Listen, every single one of us wants to be the diligent worker, ultimately. We all want to be the diligent worker. God wants us to be the diligent worker. And the world, in fact, is in desperate need of gospel workers who are diligent in their work and make much of Jesus because of what they do on here, right? But guess what? Proverbs presents us with another character. It's the sluggard. The sluggard. Can you say sluggard with me on three? One, two, three. Sluggard, exactly. The sluggard is someone who you can picture just like wallowing in self-pity and not getting anywhere. And you can picture as a stationary bike, right? The sluggard is someone who is doing things. He's making decisions. He's like pedaling and stuff. You can see him and like, this guy's doing things, but is he really getting anywhere? I don't know. I don't know. He's not. With the sluggard, there's movement, but there's not direction or progress. So I think what we need to remember is that we do not want to be the sluggard. We want to be the diligent. God does not want us to be the sluggard. He wants us to be the diligent. But here's the bad news. The world is full of sluggards. How do I know that? Because of a research study done two years ago that said this. And it said this about the workplace, but I'd be so far as to stretch it to the classroom. And he says this. Of the country's approximately 100 million full-time employees, 51% aren't engaged at work, meaning they feel no real connection to their jobs, and thus they tend to do the bare minimum. And 16% are actively disengaged. They resent their jobs, tend to gripe to coworkers, and drag down office morale as a result. They're doing more harm than good when they come to work. Oof. The world is full of sluggards. And listen, it has been since the moment Man and woman rebelled against God's creation in the Garden of Eden. And you know what he said? From your work is going to produce thorns and thistles. Your work is going to be hard. Work is going to be cursed. So from that moment on, there were sluggards on the face of the earth. So here's what my goal isn't this morning. The two things that my goal isn't. The first thing is this, to create two sort of mutually exclusive categories that you think you can fit into for a lifetime. To make you think like, you guys out there, sluggards. You're all sluggards. (laughs) No, 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 no. These aren't two exclusive categories. We all are going to relate to both the diligent and the sluggard in more ways than one. We're all going to say, wow, I really feel convicted by this point. I'm the sluggard here, but I'm the diligent here. Praise God. So that's what we're looking at. Don't think you're either one. We're all going to relate to both in some ways. The second thing I don't want to do this morning is to make you think that by peddling hard enough, by being a hard enough worker, You can attain salvation and eternal life with Jesus Christ. This sermon is not a how-to manual on salvation. It's not. Salvation is never dependent upon us. It's always dependent upon Christ. Christ's finished work on the cross, right? So that's what we're talking about today. Those aren't our goals. But what my goal is, is to make you think about this question. What if I were to view my work as an opportunity to glorify God and grow his kingdom? What if? What if I believed what Tim Keller says in his book, Every Good Endeavor? If the God of the Bible exists, and there is a true reality beneath and behind this one, and this life is not the only life, then every good endeavor, even the simplest ones, pursued in response to God's calling, can matter forever. That's what the Christian faith promises. That's what the Christian faith promises. So to do that today, we're going to look at four statements that juxtapose the sluggard and the diligent sluggard and the diligent. You ready for it? 
Let's do it. So to do that, uh, we're going to be all over the book of Proverbs. So you can use your Bible if you want, but I'm going to have the Bible verses on the screen if you just want to keep up up there. So the first one is Proverbs 26. Let's read it. The sluggard says, there's a lion in the road. There's a lion in the streets. As a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. It wears him out to bring it back to his own mouth. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. Oof. (laughs) That's a hard verse. And the first thing that I want you to see about the sluggard versus the diligent is this. The sluggard talks about work, but the diligent does work. The sluggard talks about work, but the diligent does work. What I think is really interesting uh, in these verses is when I was reading some commentaries on them, they explained that the word streets and road here are actually better translated as the word plaza, as plaza, because plaza is a place in this time that the sluggard would have gone for work and meaning and progress. It would have been his place of employment, the plaza. So what he's saying here is there's a lion in the plaza. And guess what? That's ridiculous. It's ridiculous of him to say there is a lion in the city plaza. How many lions have you seen in our own plaza, academic plaza? Not many. Exactly. So what he's doing here is he's making a ridiculous excuse. And what I want you to see about this is we, we all know people who have lions in their plazas, right? We all know people who have lions in their plazas. We've heard it like this. Look, I know my portion of the group project is due in an hour, and no one can do their portion until I do my portion, but it's been a really tough February. We've heard that we know the group project excuse person. We know the person who makes that kind of excuse. We all do. So I want to ask you, what's the lion in your plaza? What is it? What's the thing that's holding you back? What's the excuse you've been making that's been putting a roadblock in front of you, getting valuable things done? What's that lion in your plaza that's been stopping you from spending time with the Lord or effectively doing your homework or quitting cigarettes or calling grandma back? What are, what are the lions in your plazas that have been, that have been hindering you? Proverbs 14.23 takes it a step further in saying this. In all toil there is profit, but mere talk tends only to poverty. See, the, the image that it's presenting here is that, man, the sluggard, he's just sitting around talking. He's making excuses and he's talking. So another question I, I want all of us to ask ourselves is, what are the things you've been talking about doing but not actually doing? What are the things you've been talking about doing but not actually doing? For me, this one is very convicting. Uh, with adult stuff, <laughs> I, um, if, you, if you like put a work-related task that affects other people in front of me, like, don't get me wrong, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to like get that task done. I'm going to like pour myself into that. But if you put a me-oriented task in front of me, I am awful at getting those things done. For example, when I graduated, they gave me this tube. And inside of this tube was a pink slip, not a diploma. It wasn't a diploma. And on this pink slip, it said, go to the diploma office and pick up your diploma. That's all you have to do. It was because of some weird transfer credit. I still don't have my diploma. I I know, it's terrible. I know, my mom is sitting right there and I can feel her eyes on me. Uh, Additionally, I have recently moved here from, uh, I used to live in Baytown, go to the dentist in Baytown. Uh, But now I have to find a dentist here, I guess. But my dentist back home has been calling me saying, you're due for a teeth cleaning two years ago. So I just keep like putting that off, putting that off. And even worst of all is, so I've heard in the month of April, you have to do these things called taxes. And I, 
I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, man. <laughs> That's a me-oriented thing that I've been talking a lot about that I, I don't know what I'm going to do about. <laughs> so there are a certain number of things that are in front of me that I've been a lot of talk about. I've been talking about going to the dentist for a long time, but I have done nothing. I've done nothing about. But this stands really strongly contrasted to the image of the diligent worker in the next proverb. It says this, A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. Man, what's the, what's the image of the diligent presented in these verses? Like, what, what's he saying? What is the diligent person saying in these, in these previous verses? I'll, I'll bring them back up. He's, he's not saying anything. <laughs> he's harvesting. He's out in the field. He's gathering what God's put in front of him. The diligent person is not making an excuse. He's not just talking. He's harvesting. So what I want to do is get on the bike and ask you guys two questions. First, what is the lion in your plaza? What's that lion in your plaza? And second, uh, what are the things you've been talking about doing but not actually doing? What are those things? Are there things that you're relating to and saying, wow, I've been talking a lot, making a lot of excuses about this, but not actually doing it? And while I'm here, I want to propose a scenario to you. Imagine I am what we'll call Sluggard Scott. I've been riding on this bike. Sorry, Scott. Uh, I've been riding on this bike, and you can, you can sort of picture this guy. He's, he's the guy who you've seen like show up to class like 40% of the time, and every time he slides in, he's like, hey, man, can I, can I have the notes? And like he's bombed every group project thing and every quiz and stuff. That, imagine, imagine that guy. Now imagine <clears throat> that guy, Sluggard Scott, comes up to you and says like, hey man, I got more stationary bikes. You want to hop on one and go with me where I'm going for eternity? Man, all I'm saying is if you're the all talk, no do person or the excuse person, it's real hard to be the effective witness of Jesus person. That's a, that's a hard thing to do. So I just want to give us one quick, uh, one quick application. It's this. Man, what, what is one thing this week that you can do? What's one thing this week that you can focus on and not make an excuse about and not just talk about doing? What's one thing? I think a lot of people have a hard time doing this with like spiritual disciplines, like prayer and fasting and giving and uh, sharing your faith. I think that's one of the main things people have a hard time actually doing and not just talking about. That's one of the things that I had the hardest time doing. Uh, and, and one that I most relate to is, in fact, like sharing your faith. So here's a challenge for you if that's, if that's something you relate to. This week, uh, with someone who you've met in one of your classes, or with someone you meet at HEB, with your waitress, at Taz, I, I don't know, whoever it is, try this week just sharing your faith with someone. Or you can come with us. Because we, in fact, every single week are on campus. Uh, we do this thing called evangelism training. And it's Wednesdays and Thursdays from 11.30 to 1.30 and 2 to 4. And we're always there on campus. Grace Bible Church is. And we meet together. We gather. We pray. We pray that God would use us. And then we train. We say, God, how can we effectively go out and share your gospel with people who desperately need to hear it? And then we go and do that with you. So if you want to do that, literally with me, I'm there Wednesdays, 1130 to 1.30. So I hope that sort of gets to bump aside an excuse for you and you can come and join us this week in, in practicing sharing your faith. And listen, I, I don't think there's 
that we need to buy into the, into the illusion that we should automatically say like, okay, I'm going to change this and this and this and this and this. No more excuses. Doing this now. Because life change doesn't happen by making a bunch of all one-time decisions, but making one decision this week. So what is one thing you can quit making excuses about and quit talking about this week? I think a really great story from Jesus' life that embodies this is he's at this feast. In, I'm not going to read it. I'm just going to summarize it. In Luke 14, Jesus is at this feast, and he's talking to the banquet host. And he's like, hey, imagine you're throwing this massive party. You've gotten all of the best desserts and entrees and everything, and you invite all of these people. And these people, finally, we get to the day, and you set out the feast, the banquet's ready, and they start talking. They start coming to you and saying, hey, I can't make it. I've got to bury my father, or I can't make it. I've got to, I've got to marry my daughter, or I can't make it. I've got to get this group project thing done, or I can't make it. I've got to do this. And Jesus looks at them, and he says, man, you're missing out on your father's banquet. That's the principle. And I think for a lot of us, there are a lot of things we can miss out on in God's kingdom by making excuses and just talking. So I want to challenge you to look at one single thing this week. Listen, the sluggard is a lot of talk, but the diligent is a lot of do. Let's look at the next thing that we see juxtaposing the sluggard and the diligent. It comes from Proverbs 21.5. It says this, The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. The second juxtaposition I want you to see about the sluggard and the diligent is this. The sluggard works aimlessly, but the diligent works with a plan. The sluggard works aimlessly, but the diligent works with a plan. So here's my question for you. Are you walking through life with a plan? Have you planned out when you're going to get homework done, when you're going to spend time with the Lord, when you're going to do really valuable things in your schedule? Have you planned those things out? If I were to look at a 30-minute by 30-minute rundown of your day— If I were to like lay it all out, would I look and say, wow, this person is truly leveraging their time to glorify their God and grow his kingdom? Or would your plans look more like preschool plans, right? So one of my favorite things in the world is at some point last year, this preschool teacher had her students write down some recipes and basically describe some of of their favorite things that their parents made. And it's, the result was glorious. So this is the first one. It's Ariana's macaroni. The serving is uh, three people. The prep time is five minutes. The cook time is five minutes a day. The cost is, I think, $2. The ingredients are melted cheese, macaroni, apples, strawberries. I like them because they are healthy. Toys, backpack, doll. Where to buy? Walmart and Target. Wait, I am trying to think. Oh, yeah, the mall. The instructions are this. First, you put the macaroni in the stove, and now you put it in the end. Put it to the oven and put cheese and more melted cheese. The oven has to be hot like fire, like a candle, like for birthdays. Now you need to tell everyone that it's time to leave. And I have to leave because I am going to a party with a swimming pool. My sister says, why do you go to the swimming pool? And I say, because I like it. Now I go home and I am waiting for it not to be hot. And then my sister says, why do you do that? It's because you blow on the macaroni so it won't be hot. You need to wait. Now it's done. That's Ariana's macaroni. But even better are Joe's Tacos. There it is. The serving, I don't even know. The prep time, like 45 minutes. The cook time, I think 55 minutes. The cost, I don't even know. The ingredients are get the meat and lettuce at H-E-B. Taco shells are there too. I have cheese at my house, so I don't have to go to the store to get more. Lettuce, potato, wait. Is it potato or tomato? No, tomato. Where to buy? 
I don't know where to get the other stuff, the instructions. First, I don't actually know. Uh, I really don't remember anything. Can I change this to cheesy roll-ups? Because they are super easy. There's only three stuff you need, white cheese, yellow cheese, and tortilla. I don't want to make tacos anymore. I don't know how. It is too hard to think about tacos. (laughs) But I can make cheesy roll-ups. They're super easy. They come from Taco Bell. I need yellow cheese, and I don't know where to buy the white cheese. I don't know how to make tacos. Cheesy roll-ups are better because I know how to make them. Uh, let me think. One time I made candy and it turned brown. I don't want tacos anymore. I like them, but I love cheesy roll-ups more. I don't like beans because they make me throw up. My mom made me eat a bean burrito one time with beans in it and I threw up. Wait, I know how to make watermelon. It's easy. Just bite a watermelon and eat it. Those are Joe's tacos, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) Now listen, (laughs) we can all agree that if those preschoolers go and implement their plans, they will fail. They will fail. (laughs) Or just eat like a lot of cheesy roll-ups. And that might not be failure in your book. I don't know. And here's, here's not what I'm saying. You need to start scheduling out every moment of your every day. But if you're walking through life and you're having a really hard time getting stuff done, you're always feeling like you're running late and you're always feeling like you don't have time for the Lord of the universe... I challenge you, maybe it's time to, to leverage an actual literal schedule, an actual calendar. My sophomore year, I did the thing that, you know, a lot of sophomores do, where I was like, I'll just say yes to every single thing that comes my way and hope it works out. <laughs> so I was in all of these organizations, and it was, it was a foolish time. But I found uh, that in the middle of this time, I really had to schedule things out, or I like actually was going to drop the ball on a lot of stuff. I was going to let commitments slip. I was never going to spend time with the Lord, never going to read any scripture, never going to get my homework done if I just let my calendar happen. So I did something that, and I'll say this before I put it up there, a lot of you are going to hate, but I did this thing where I got a 30 minute by 30 minute calendar of my day. And I took a Sharpie and I blocked off the things that were required like class, organization, meetings, that type of thing. I blocked those off. And then the next thing I did, I, I took from Ben Stewart saying this at Impact my freshman year. He said, take your brightest highlighter, your yellowest highlighter, and mark in next when you're going to spend time with the Lord of the universe. Just mark it in. Highlight it in. And man, that's, that's really what, what transformed my schedule. When I looked at it and said priority one and priority two, And then I scheduled in after that, time for rest, time for homework, time for being with friends, time for getting tasks done. Man, that transformed my schedule. In a season that I had more things on my calendar, I was more effectively leveraging my time to glorify God and grow his kingdom than I ever had before. So I I challenge you to, maybe this is the time that you need to do the same. And if you're looking at this and you're thinking, Ben, this looks like my worst nightmare, one. (laughs) And two, looks really closed off to the spirit of God. Like, where, is, where, do you, where are you leaving room for God to move in a 30-minute by 30-minute calendar? And I challenge you to look at Jesus' life. Jesus had a plan. <laughs> if you look at a map of his movement, where Jesus moved, man, you see he's got a direction. He's headed to the cross. Jesus is headed to the cross. And if you think, wow, but Jesus had long meals late into the night with people. It was always with his disciples who he was equipping or people who didn't know his father. It was. People would come up to him and say, Jesus, we want to follow you. He'd say, foxes, they have holes. Birds, they have nests. I got no pillow. Bye. He would say that (laughs) to people. I'm serious. Jesus had a plan, church. He did. So I want to ask, do you, are you walking through life with a plan? 
Maybe this is a week that you have to sit down and craft out a calendar, not just to be a more organized person. If you walk out of here and you're like, wow, I'm more organized now, that's never the goal. The goal is always to, out of response of what Jesus has done for us, to glorify him by calendaring things in, maybe, so you can leverage your time to glorify him and grow his kingdom, right? Okay, well, I want to talk about the third contrast between the sluggard and the diligent, and it comes from Proverbs twenty-six sixteen. It says this, the sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven man, men who can answer sensibly. Church, the next thing that we see about the sluggard is this. He works alone. The sluggard works alone, but the diligent works alongside. The diligent works alongside. I'm going to get on this bike and give you the image, another image of a sluggard. <laughs> the sluggard is someone who you've seen like riding along. I'm sluggard Scott again. I'm riding along and maybe I have, I have friends who come up on their actual bikes, on their VO rides. They're everywhere. They come up on their VO rides and they're like, hey, you want to come with me? Come on, look, look how much better it is when you hop on an actual bike and get somewhere. And the sluggard's like, no, I'm happy where I am. This is exactly where I want to be. He's the person who is all alone. He's working completely by himself. And this strongly stands contrasted to the image of the diligent, which is this. Where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in abundance of counselors, there is safety. In abundance of counselors, there is safety. That's what the diligent has. So I want to ask you this. Are you working alone or alongside? Are you working alone or alongside? I want to make this super practical to give you some things to think about, to actually think, am I working alone or alongside? It's this. Are you alone in your pursuit of God? Are you alone in your depression? Are you alone in your attempt to consistently read your Bible? Are you alone in trying to make decisions? Are you alone in trying to fight against porn and lust? Are you alone in making healthy choices? Or friends, are you sprinting toward the image of the resurrected Jesus Christ alongside faithful witnesses? Are you alone or are you alongside? If you are, if you're feeling like trapped in the pattern of solitude, man, I just want to point you to three quick grace things that we have crafted to help you get out of that, to help you run through life alongside people. The first one is this. If you're looking for faithful men and women to sprint alongside into community, please jump in on a grace group. Please. Or men, if you're trying to fight against purity, if you're trying to fight for purity, please join a conquer group. They meet on Sunday nights. Yeah, come on. Or men, and women, if you're, if you're hurting, if you're hurting alone, please jump in on a college grief share group. They exist to help you. If you. I know I flashed those up here on the screen pretty quick. If you have any questions, there's going to be someone standing in the back at the resource table. So please jump in, please. Because I want every single one of us to have an opportunity to jump out of solitude and into life alongside. So are you. And as for Jesus, I want to I ask you a, a very tangible question. Could Jesus have done and accomplished what he accomplished all alone? Could Jesus have accomplished what he accomplished all alone? Theoretically, I'm sure he could have. He is the God of the universe. He's the creator and sustainer. He's above all and in all. Jesus could have done whatever he wanted. But at the same time, practically speaking, God crafted something, He wants, and he wants every single one of us to have a relationship with him, Right? Practically speaking, no. Jesus wanted every single person to be in relationship with him. He never wanted people to be alone, and he always wanted them to be alongside, alongside his followers and alongside him, alongside him. And if you're curious how this played out in Jesus' life, uh, Mark 3.14, when Jesus originally implements his plan, it says this, 
And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach. Let me read that again. He appointed twelve, so that they might be with him. Jesus could have accomplished whatever he wanted alone, but instead he worked alongside. He brought people alongside him to be with him. Do you? Are you working alone or or alongside? So I want to summarize where we are right now. We've seen this. We've seen that the sluggard talks about work, but the diligent does work. We've seen that the sluggard works aimlessly, but the diligent works with a plan. And we've seen that the sluggard works alone, but the diligent works alongside. But as we wrap up today, I want to show us a proverb that I think really exemplifies why any of this matters in the first place. It's Proverbs twenty-two twenty-nine, and it says this, Do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. Church, the sluggard's work and his time is a waste, but the diligent will stand before kings. And here's what I need you to know. One day, every single one of us, the sluggard, the diligent, and whatever you and I classify as, will ultimately stand before the king of kings. Not just a king, not any earthly king, but the king of kings. And we'll have to explain why we worked the way that we worked. We'll be faced with that moment. So my question is, what do you want to have to explain? What do you want to have to explain when you stand before the king of kings? But that's not where I want to end us. Because if we ended there, we would be very, very inward. We'd be very us-focused. But man, this, there is no benefit if we walk out of here thinking, how can I just be better? How can I be a more organized, efficient person with my calendar? No. I want to end by praising our God that there is no work that we can ever do that will earn us our salvation, eternal life with Christ, right? I want to praise God that no matter how hard we try to get on this bike and pedal, this bike can never pedal us to eternity with Jesus Christ, right? This is just a VO ride. (laughs) It's not going to get us there. So what God did is he wrapped himself in human flesh as a person we know as Jesus Christ came to the earth and lived the life that we could not live. And you know what he did? He never, ever made excuses. He never just talked. He never just walked around aimlessly and he never did it alone. He always worked with people toward a mission for Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ leveraged his work to glorify God and grow his kingdom more than any person ever, right? So that's the God we're looking to who lived the perfect life and then died the perfect death on our behalf. And what he did after that, we know, is he didn't stay in the grave, but three days later he rose from the grave, right? Accomplishing the single most important and significant act of work that will ever and has ever been accomplished. And he said, if we want to be a part of it, if you want to be a part of it, all you have to do is put your faith in the resurrected Jesus Christ. So that's where I want to end us, by looking to the cross of Calvary. If we gain anything from today, I hope it's not, I need to work harder, but it's this, in response to what Jesus has done for me, I do work. I work hard for him. Look what he has done. Now may I be his servant. May I, the servant, be satisfied when he, the master, is glorified, right? Hey, we, we've really enjoyed being in this series with you guys. It's been a lot of fun. Like Allison said at the beginning, we're going we're gonna to take a break for a couple weeks as we walk into spring break. But in the meantime, here's what we're praying for you. That you would work hard for your God in this last week. But that you would also rest in him. That you would rest well in him. 
So what we want to do now is just spend some time worshiping him, praising him for the fact that there's no work that we can do to gain our way to salvation or heaven, but that God has already accomplished all of the work on our behalf. So we're going to pray, and then we're going to praise our God. Let's do it. Father, thank you for that really, truly freeing fact that there is, there is no work that I can do that will gain me eternity with you, Lord Jesus. I know that. I believe that. We all do. God, I pray today that you wouldn't let anyone walk out of here believing any otherwise. But God, instead, I pray that all of us would work hard and praise hard in response to what you've done for us, Lord Jesus. And I pray that every single person in this room this morning would leave and leverage their work to glorify you and grow your kingdom, Lord God. I know that you can do that through every single one of us. So I pray that you would. Our worship, our praise is all yours now. Pray this in Jesus' name.